0: Would you turn in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 31? Flower in hand, turn to Proverbs chapter 31. As you turn to Proverbs 31 today, this is our final study. The 17th week that we have been in the book of Proverbs and we've studied the mega themes of the book of Proverbs. Maybe we have left out a theme or two, but we've covered what I consider the mega themes, and I thought it was fitting to close our study, sort of where we started last week and finish it this week, on a virtuous woman. I call this study, The Rewards of an Awesome Woman, uh, beginning in verse 23. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them and supplies sashes for the merchants. Strength and honor are her clothing. She shall rejoice in time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and on her tongue is the law of kindness. She watches over the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her, hus- her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many daughters have done well, but you excel them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is passing. But a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised." Give her of the fruit of her hands, and let her own works praise her in the gates. There was a nursing journal in which a nurse submitted this little article. She, said she called it the chickenization of women, which is an interesting article title indeed. And uh, she said, women are frequently referred to as poultry. We cluck at hen parties. When we aren't hen pecking men, we are egging them on. In youth, we are called chicks. Mothers watch over their brood. Later, we're called old biddies with an empty nest syndrome. And then this woman posed this question Is it just a coincidence that so many women's wages are just chicken feed? <laughs> Now, there's an old saying, a mother's work is never done. And I guess that's true because it seems that that role of caretaker and compassion giver seems to go on and on. Today I think of my own mother who was so selfless and still is, who gave herself to her family, who worked inside the home to make sure the home was comfortable, to make sure meals were on time. Sometimes she would even work outside the home to bring in extra income. And believe it or not, she still worries about us. She will call me, or she'll make sure that I call her. If ever I visit her and I leave back home, she wants a phone call so I can say, I'm home safely. Otherwise, she'll sit up and worry. And so it seems like it never ends. Today we want to honor mothers. We honor you mothers who have already raised your children and are watching your children raise your grandchildren. We want to honor you mothers who have infants and you're just learning the ropes of what it means to be a mom or you're just pregnant and you're anticipating. We honor you moms who are raising teenagers and you're biting your lip with every month that passes. We honor those of you who are single mothers, who have to juggle so much of your time and your energy as you give it to your children. We also honor those of you today who are childless, who would love to be a mother, but you have been unable to. We're especially sensitive to you. And so I guess it's true. A mother's work is never done. Is there a payoff? Are there rewards? Of course there'll be a reward in heaven. But what about now? Well, I think if you give the normal course of a virtuous woman that there ought to be rewards. In fact, this text brings up what I would say are three rewards for an awesome woman. Now, that's the title I've given it. Uh, Verse 10 calls her a virtuous woman or an excellent wife. I like the term for the 90s. She is awesome. That's sort of the general idea here. The description of an awesome woman. What is noteworthy about... Her description in all of these verses that we have read is that she exhibits leadership within the home. Now, she's submissive to her husband, yes, and she makes sure that he is well taken care of. But at the same time, she's involved in running the household affairs and making important choices. Men, let me just say, lean on your wives for many of the choices that are made in the home. You might mumble under your breath, Well, she makes dumb choices. It's interesting, isn't it, that she said yes to you when it came time to choose a husband. So be careful. There's a legend of a conversation that God had with Adam after Adam and Eve were both created, and Adam came to God and said, God, thank you for this beautiful woman. Why did you make her so beautiful and so soft? And God said, so that you might love her. And then he sort of lowered his voice and looked around and said, But why did you make her so foolish? And God said, so that she would love you. (laughs) Men, all kidding aside, it's time that your wives, who are under attack these days, be exalted, and be given proper honor by yourself and then also by your children. So today we want to look at the rewards of an awesome woman. And as I look at this text, and we'll confine ourselves to the text, there is first of all the reward of influence. That is part of her reward that she is to enjoy here and now on earth. Second is the reward of affirmation by you and by her children, and by her peers. And thirdly, there is the reward of satisfaction that she is to enjoy. Picking up in verse 23, we see influence mentioned as the first. It says, her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. First of all, notice the man's description. He's described as her husband instead of the wife being described as his wife. Somebody on staff, sort of jokingly a few years ago, made up some business cards for me. Skip Heitzig, Lenya's husband. I thought that was clever. Now, the reason it's put this way here is to show this woman's connection to her husband's success. Her husband is known in the gates. You see, he would sit in the gates, they would hear his wisdom, they would see his position. But they would not know necessarily that it's because there's been a woman who has influenced his life that has enabled him to sit in the gate and be prominent and be filled with wisdom. Now, when it mentions here in verse 23, the gate, it's speaking of the city gate, something we don't have in modern cities, but they had in ancient cities. It was the entrance to the city. And don't picture in your mind this metal structure that goes back and forth on hinges and somebody knocks or rings a doorbell to get into the city The city gate was a huge stone structure, often one or two large rooms where you would enter under a canopy, through a room that had seats all around the stone walls, and then finally into the city. The reason it was so big is because the gate of the city was the place of prominence and authority. It was the place where the elders of the city gathered. Whenever they had a legal dispute, it was handled at the gate. Whenever goods were sold, it was handled at the gate. Whenever news or politics was discussed, it happened at the gate. And so the gate of the city is a place of influence, importance, prominence. A promise that God gave to Abraham is that his descendants would occupy the gates of their enemies. So the idea here is this woman has influenced her husband so that he can influence others. He can be sitting in the gate, but it's because of her influence. Now remember back in Genesis chapter 2, we mentioned it last week, that God created man, looked at man, and said, something's not right. It's not good that he should be alone. I will make a helper comparable to him, or I will make him a suitable helpmeet to complete him. He is not complete. He is half the person that he could be. And so my plan, my rescue operation, is to create a woman, bring the woman to the man, and the two shall become one flesh. And that woman will complete the man. If we follow God's design, when a man and a woman come together, that man is enlarged in his being. Now, of course, if she's a good cook, he's enlarged in more ways than one. But the idea is that she completes him. She rounds out his life. And I will readily admit that the success, if you call it that, that I have enjoyed in the ministry, is largely due to a godly and a gifted wife that I have. And I'll admit freely that I take many of her ideas for messages, sermons, and things, I think, that's hot. I'm going to use that. And it was her idea. You see, the love of a wife can cause the blossoming of a husband it can cause him to become something he could not become on his own. That's the biblical idea of a helper to complete the man. There's a cute story of Pete Flaherty. Uh, He was a county commissioner in Pittsburgh. And his wife, Nancy, and he were out one evening surveying a city construction area. And as they were standing on the sidewalk and he was looking at the plans and going over them, One of the workmen at the construction site noticed Nancy and said, Hey, Nancy, do you remember me? We used to date in high school. And they had a little conversation. When it was all over, Pete and Nancy were walking back to the car, and Pete sort of kidded her and said, Aren't you glad you married me? See, if you'd have married him, you'd have been the wife of a construction worker. And she smiled and said, Oh, no, honey, if I'd have married him, he would have been the county commissioner. Sometimes, you might say that a gal marries the best husband. But oftentimes, she makes the best out of the husband that God has given to her. And God does the changing. Indeed, she does the loving and the committal. As uh, Ruth Graham often said, My job is to love Billy. It's God's job to change him. And she's been committed to him. And I believe it's made Billy into... Something uh, that he could not be on his own. He's a great, great and gifted evangelist. But a lot has to do with the woman behind the scenes. Not only is her influence for her husband, but also her children. If you go with me back to verse 1, as this whole text is introduced, we see that. We are told, these are the words of King Lemuel. The utterance which his mother taught him. And who is him? Him is King Lemuel. The idea is this, this woman, whoever she is, birthed a kid who became a king. She had such influence on this child that he became a king, a man of great influence and great power. We're told in Proverbs 23, verses 24 and 25, He who begets a wise child will delight in him. Let your father and your mother be glad, and let her who bore you rejoice. King Lemuel's mother, some think it's Bathsheba, who gave to Solomon the nickname Lemuel. Others think it's some king that we know nothing about. Whoever it was, this woman had great influence on her own child. And in this case, the maxim is true, that the hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. This gal exercised great influence in her son's life. It is sad to say that women are not much acclaimed in church history. We acclaim Martin Luther. We acclaim other leaders of the Reformation, great evangelists, the Wesleys, the Finneys. But nothing much is said of the women, their wives or their mothers who influenced them to bring them to that point we read in the Bible of the exploits of Timothy and Paul and Barnabas and even Paul himself spoke and exalted the women in Timothy's life as being women of influence he said in 2nd Timothy chapter 1 to young Timothy I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice and I am persuaded is also in you in other words you know, Timothy, when I think about you, I think that your faith is real. It's genuine. It's the real article. And I know just where you got it, from your mom. And your mom got it from her mom. It's been passed on from generation to generation. Paul never mentions a significant grandfather or his father. Not to say they were not significant. But the idea is that the faith of Jesus Christ was passed from grandmother to mother. And finally was picked up by young Timothy. And so our president, Abraham Lincoln, was right when he once said, No one is poor who has a godly mother. She influences her children. There's an old hymn that is sung called Faith of Our Fathers. I'd like to see another stanza to that called Faith of Our Mothers. Because so many of the great men of history who exhibited such faith have their wives or their moms to thank. For instance, Martin Luther. Everybody credits the Reformation with Martin Luther, who stood up against evil for the truth. But one great historian, de Albine, is convinced, and he claims by his research, that the Reformation was birthed when Martin Luther was a child and listened to the teachings of his mother. It was the influence of Martin Luther's mother that set his heart ablaze and the Reformation took off. There's an old Scottish saying that says, An ounce of mother is worth a pound of clergy. There's nothing like the influence of a godly mother when those child or children are growing up and they hear the words of grace and truth from a mother's lips and exhibited in a mom's life. David could have said that as king of Israel. In his prayer to God in Psalm 22, he said, I was cast upon you, O Lord, from birth. From my mother's womb, you have been my God. What a great thing to say. I was cast upon you. As soon as I was born, I was taught by my mother to love you and to serve you. Another president of the United States once said, Theodore Roosevelt, he said, the mother is the one supreme asset of our national life. She is more important than the successful statesman or businessman or artist or scientist. So part of her reward now is the reward of influence. She influences the children that God has given her. She influences the husband God has given her. There's another reward, and that's the reward of affirmation. She doesn't get enough of it, I'm convinced, but she should. Verse 28. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also. And he praises her. That's a very strong word of a husband's affirmation to his wife. Many daughters have done well, but you excel them all. This is not only a description then of a woman who is virtuous, but of a home that is working in unity together. The principal character of the cast here is the woman, because she sets the tone and the atmosphere of the home. But that is followed up by sincere praise given by the husband. And that is such a good role model for the kids who will follow and also bless their mother. Men, one of the greatest gifts you can give to your children is to love their mother. They will follow suit and rise up and call her blessed. Now, in ancient Israel, there was no Mother's Day. Oh, we have once a year where we have a gathering like this and we... Uh, uh, Make sure that AT&T and MCI get their pockets, you know, uh, lined a little bit better. And uh, the card companies and flower companies are very happy on this day. In ancient Israel, they didn't have a Mother's Day. You know when Mother's Day was? Every week. Did you know that every Friday evening, when they would bring in the Shabbat, the traditional Sabbath, and they would have the prayer, and at dusk, the women would put their hands over the candles and bring in the Sabbath, that the men of those homes, the husbands, as well as the children would get up and would recite what we are reading here. Verses 10 through the end of the chapter, to the woman of the house. She was given honored and she was praised in their midst. Now verse 28 talks about the affirmation she's to receive from her children. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Now when kids are young, that's not too difficult usually. A kid, as he or she grows up, looks at mom and dad as, you know, the hero. They can do no wrong. My daddy and my mommy are better than your daddy and mommy. They're perfect. They're saints. They're next to God. And uh, it's pretty easy to say, oh, you're awesome. Oh, you're great. Uh, like the little girl who was in class and she was being taught by her teacher uh, the struggles of the first winter that the pilgrim fathers faced in this country. And about the starvation and the cold and how hard it was for everyone. One little girl raised her hand and said, You know, I wish my mommy would have been there. She knows just what to do in times like that. You know, she could do everything. But what about when the kids grow a little? Well, they find out their parents aren't perfect. But there always, at every stage, ought to be respect that is shown to the mother. Here the word is arise. The children will rise up. The word in Hebrew for rise is kum. It is a word that is found in nearly every Semitic language. In the Bible alone, in Hebrew, it's found 630 times. In Aramaic, it is found 39 times and has a variety of meanings. It can mean anything from getting up out of bed to being empowered or empowering others. In military usage, the same word means to engage in a battle, though that's not the intention here, that a kid would get up and fight his mom in the morning. The idea here in this context is that the children would rise in respect for their mother, in showing respect for their mother. Or, as some of the... Traditional usages among the Jews is that the children would get up in the morning and seeing that everything is prepared for their day by their mother would render thanksgiving for the mom that God has given to them. Solomon did that. Solomon was the king over Israel. Yet as king when his mother Bathsheba came in one day to visit him, the scripture tells us the king rose up to meet her and then he bowed down to her and then he sat on his throne. Here's the king. He didn't stand up for anybody except mom. Mom came in, get up, and then bow down, and then finally sit in your throne. Expression of thankfulness. Now, over in the western part of the United States, it's not as common, but the more and more dealings that I have with the southerners, they have a terrific custom. The custom is whenever a woman enters the room, you stand. Now, I wasn't used to that. I come from California where we have never even heard of the word manners. And, uh, you know, a woman came in the room, Hey, what's up? But in the south, a woman right, enters the room, You stand up, and you call her, Yes, ma'am, no ma'am. Deference is shown to the woman. In the Talmud, there is a story written about a rabbi who whenever he heard his mother's footsteps, he said, I stand up before the Shekinah, or that is God's divine presence. He thought it was a glorious moment because his mother reflected the glory of God. Now, kids don't always do this, moms, dads, especially after you spank them. Or if you say, no, you can't have that, or you're going to bed early, or you're going to be disciplined because of that. They might say some things to you that make you wonder Am I a hot shot parent after all? Your kid might say, I don't love you anymore. And then you get worried, oh, I don't want my child to... You know, listen, listen, relax. It is not as important what they think about you now as you discipline them. What is most important is that when they grow up, when it's all said and done, what will they say about you then? Did you love them? Did you discipline them? Did you give them what they needed? Or did you always give them what they wanted? Did you spoil them? All of those factors will be taken into consideration. So rather than evaluating your parenting just now, make sure that you think about the end result. I think that uh, verse 28 is very similar to a commandment given in the Ten Commandments. It's the Fifth Commandment, which says what? Honor your father and your mother. Now let's turn this away from moms for just a minute and turn it on to children. Uh, Some kids have maybe come to church this morning because... Your mom said, My Mother's Day present is that you come to church today and you listen. And so here you are going, All right. Well, good. Now that I have you, the Bible tells all of us that we are to honor our father and mother that you might live long in the land that the Lord your God swore to give to you. And what does that mean? Honor your father and your mother. The word honor is the Hebrew word kabad, which means to add weight to something. To add weight to something or to make heavy. It's the attitude of attaching importance to another person. Honor them. Attach importance to your father and to your mother. Now I think the attitude implies respect, as we have already said. I remember in high school, uh, some of my friends thought it was really cool to call their dad by their first name or their mother by their first name I had uh, an older brother who was having a difficult time with my dad and wouldn't call him dad, called him by his first name. And I never liked that. And uh, I had friends who wouldn't call their mom my mom or my mother. They would say, my old lady. And I thought, I don't care how you're not getting along with mom or dad. You call her by her title. You don't have the right to address her by her first name or call her your old lady. There ought to be respect. Um, Again, in the South... I, after being around Franklin Graham, he still calls his mom, yes, ma'am, yes, sir, to his father. And, you know, that's a culture shock, you know, for those of us out west, but I think it's a good practice. I think that children ought to lis- listen to their moms and dads very courteously as parents are giving advice. Now, I admit I didn't always do this. I'd roll my eyes, too. And I would think, I've heard this a thousand times, you know, you can stop, dad, let me finish what you're about to say. But that shows a lack of respect. Honoring your father and your mother implies respect. It also implies appreciation. Being thankful for all that they've done. You know, it's a considerable investment to raise a child. And any parent knows that it is an all-consuming, many times, investment. I didn't realize this till after Lenya got pregnant. And I watched her grow and get sick and throw up and not sleep at night and then give birth to a child and that experience of a woman's pain in childbirth was like whoa it's radical and then staying up at night and feeding the child and buying toys for the child and driving all over the neighborhood for the child's games and projects all of the investment and those of you who have many children the investment is is Immense. And it's estimated that in today's society to raise one child from infancy to age 18 costs $250,000 per child. Goodness gracious. And, and that's just monetary. What about the emotion, the prayer, the concern that goes into raising a child? Kids, one of the quickest ways to crush a mom's spirit is to not respect them, to not appreciate them. One of the best ways is to elevate their spirits by telling them, I appreciate these meals. Thank you for, you know, washing my dirty clothes and for all of your love over the years for me. Think of Jesus on the cross. He was at a time where he could have been totally self-consumed. After all, he had spikes through his wrists, he had nails in his feet, crown of thorns on his head. Besides that, all of our sins on him. And he could have just been self absorbed, but rather he looked at his mother at the foot of the cross and said to John, his friend and his follower, He said, Son, behold your mother. Mother, behold your son. In other words, I want to make sure, Mom, that you are taken care of before I go. That is respect. That is appreciation. I think also the attitude implies application. That is a child applying all of the truths that Mom has instilled in the children. Some of you have had godly mothers who have raised you in the way of God, who have taught you the Scriptures, who have taught you to pray, who have told you to rely on Jesus Christ. Are you living up to what your mother taught you? That's the best thing you could do for your mother. The best monument a child can raise is to apply the principles that mom taught in the ways of God, in the ways of the Lord. And that's a great reward, isn't it, mom? For your children to be able to say all of those scriptural principles, I am living. Thank you for the education. That's why Charles Spurgeon, writing to mothers, said, Oh, dear mothers, you have a very sacred trust reposed in you by God. If God spares you, you may live to hear that pretty boy speak to thousands, and you will have the sweet reflection in your heart that the quiet teachings of the nursery led the man to love his God and to serve Him." So the reward of appreciation by children, and secondly, by husbands. Verse 28, the second part says, Her husband also, and he praises her. Now in my Bible, I've got a colon, two dots, and then verse 29 is a quotation. In other words, here is a model of what a dad could say to his wife, of what a man could say to his spouse. Many daughters have done well, but you excel them all. Isn't that a great way to extend appreciation? Other translations help out on the meaning. You outdo them all, or you surpass them all, or you transcend them all. Let me translate it as I see it in context. Honey, there's a lot of other women out there who do a lot of great things, but you are the best for me. And if I had to do it all over again, I'd ask you to marry me again. That's the idea. Yeah, there's a lot of other women, and what... Wife likes their husband to talk about other women except in this context a lot of other gals Bob. Oh, but you are the best you know it's been said that Adam and Eve had the best marriage because she couldn't tell him about all the other men she could have married and he couldn't tell her about the way mom used to do things you know they were the first right they were the first human beings And if you're going to talk about other women, make sure you do it in the comparative context of your wife being awesome. Now Solomon did this. Solomon did this in an entire book called The Song of Songs or The Song of Solomon. He writes to his bride principally and extols her. Here's a couple verses out of that. My dove, my perfect one, is the only one, the only one of her mother, the favorite of the one who bore her. The daughters saw her and called her blessed, the queens and the concubines, and they praised her. It's time, men, to rise up and take the queen of your home and thank her for again stemming the tide of the press that would say, Ow, oh, just being a wife and a mother, what great glory is there in that? There's a lot. In your estimation, you ought to support her by telling her. Take her by the hand. Take some time aside. Maybe today, grab her, grab her by the hand. Look her in the eyes. You know, don't look aside. Look her in the eyes. Maybe write her a love note. Remember those love notes before you were married? You know, maybe dust some of those love notes off and look at them if you still saved any of them. I have saved mine. See what you wrote. Write her another one, a better one. Take her by the hand and say, You're, you're awesome. You're the best that God could have given to me. There's a story that Somerset Mahan tells about his mother and father. His mom was beautiful. She was lovely. She was gracious. And everybody who knew her and met her loved her. But her husband was rather plain. He would be called an ugly man. He was not attractive, and he had very few social graces. And on one occasion in public... Someone came up to this beautiful woman and said, When everyone is so in love with you, and when you could have had anyone that you liked, how can you remain faithful to that ugly little man you married? Isn't that a horrible thing to say? Now listen to her answer. She said simply, He never hurts my feelings. That is a fine tribute to a husband who is encouraged, encouraged, and praised his wife If you rarely tell your wife That you love her Start right now Start today And don't let Mother's Day just be a once a year thing Pay tribute It will be rewarding for her it, it, She might melt You know, She might be so stunned by some Because they never do it well, Can you believe it? My husband said he loved me <laughs> But men, listen It will also be rewarding for you I found an article written by James Hewitt. He said, Husbands who kiss their wives every morning before leaving work usually live five years longer than those who do not. Get out the puckers, guys. A kissing husband has fewer automobile accidents, loses up to 50% less time from work because of illness, and earns 20 to 30% more than a non-kissing husband. Woo! I find that interesting. I mean, we've got special insurance rates for non-drinkers, non-smokers. Why not for kissers? (laughs) They're lower risk. Now, verse 31, she is to receive affirmation by her peers. Give her the fruit of her hands. Let her own works praise her in the gates. So here's the picture. Here's a gal whose rewards include the influence upon children and upon husband who is seen in the gates Her rewards include the affirmation of her children rising up and saying, Thanks, Mom, you're awesome. And a husband who would say, There's a lot of other gals, but you are the best. But also, her own works in the gates by her peers. She has her own reputation. I think of Ruth. Boaz said to Ruth, All of the people in this city know that you're a virtuous woman. And as he, the important man, was in the gate of Bethlehem, they discussed Ruth and her diligence and the fact that she was virtuous. Proverbs eleven sixteen tells us, A kind-hearted woman gains respect. God will see to it that this kind of a woman is rewarded. And I think we ought to practice that this morning. I think maybe after the service, you take somebody who's not your mother, but is somebody that you know who's a good mother, and say, I appreciate you for your diligence, your commitment to your family, your commitment to your husband, your commitment to God. It is exemplary. And I thank God for you. Um, it's funny. If an unmarried woman were to go away and say, run an orphanage and raise children to know God, we would say, now there's a Christian worker, there's a church worker, there's a religious woman. Yet, if the unmarried woman gets married and has her own children, she's not called a Christian worker. But she is. That's exactly what she is. She's a fine example of a church worker or a Christian worker. Now finally, we'll end in verse 30 and 31, the reward of satisfaction. Charm is deceitful, beauty is passing, but a woman who fears the Lord shall be praised. And then give her of the fruit of her hands. She ought to be able to say, I am so satisfied as I observe the work of my hands in the home with my husband, all that I have done, it's a satisfying feeling because, number one, she's kept God first. She's had the fear of the Lord, and that's the secret of her life. She's lived with priorities. Now, don't get this text wrong when it says beauty is passing and charm is you know, vain. It doesn't mean it's bad. It simply means that the awesome woman has the ultimate virtue in mind. And that is, she lives before her God. Everything else is secondary to her relationship with Jesus Christ. This last week, on Thursday night, I shared in a crusade at Disneyland in Southern California. And uh, it was probably the first time anything like this happened, where we had uh, different venues. And uh, while Greg Laurie spoke on Tom Sawyer's Island, I spoke in Tomorrowland, And another fellow spoke over in Pocahontas Village. And we had music, and after the music, we gave a gospel message. And uh, the New Believers uh, Center was at the uh, Golden Horseshoe Saloon, where they would all meet uh, for counseling afterwards. But one of the highlights of the evening was a young woman who was the voice of Ariel in The Little Mermaid, who is now a believer in Jesus Christ. And she said, who would have thought who would have thought, you know, years ago making this film, and now I'm able to tell children to love God and parents to keep raising them in the fear of the Lord? And so, known for being very famous, she wants to be known as a godly woman who fears the Lord. That's awesome. For over a century now, there has been a statue in New York Harbor. We call her Lady Liberty. She stands high with her torch lifted up as people would come in and see the torch of freedom that is the ornament of the entrance of our nation. The one who sculpted that was a famous sculptor from Europe called Bartholdi. He gave 20 years of his life to the construction of this statue and raising the money to make sure that this statue could be brought from France, given as a gift of France to the United States. He had to raise $4 million. There was a time when the income stream was low and he gave most all of his own wealth until he was almost impoverished to make sure that this freedom statue could be brought to this country. He was looking for a model, a woman's face, that could have the form and the features that would be seen on Lady Liberty. And so he asked around and he examined different people. And an art advisor in Europe said that the statue should depict figures of thought which are grand in and of themselves. So after examining many heroes that could be his model, he chose as the person for the statue his own mother. So that as people would come in, it's Bartholdi's mom that he has put up as holding the torch of freedom because that was his memory. Of this grand woman, this awesome woman, this woman of valor. Father, we thank you for our mothers. And we pray, Father, for the mothers of our congregation. The women who are here this morning. Who love you, who love God, who are unashamed to be devoted to husbands. And to children and to God. Who walk against the tide of the values of this country so often. And we thank You for them. In Jesus' name, Amen.